I once heard about a guy who went to the doctor to get the result of his annual physical. The doctor met him and said, I'm sorry, John, I've got some bad news for you. The tests show you have a terminal disease. You only have six months to live. John let the news sink in and ask, is there anything I can do? Any experimental drugs or treatment? I mean, there has to be something I can try. The doctor thought for a moment and said, well, there is one thing. You can move to the country and buy a pig farm and raise pigs. Then you can find a widow who has 14 or 15 kids, marry her, and bring all of them to live with you on the pig farm. John looked puzzled and said, and that will help me live longer? The doctor said, no, but it will seem like the longest six months of your life. For some of you, the last six months have been the longest six months of your life. With the pandemic and uncertainty floating in the air, you have no energy or passion. You merely exist. You feel as if you're simply going through the motions of life. Each day, slowly ticks by, second by second. On the other hand, some of you wish you could do something to slow life down. For me, the older I get, the faster life moves. Those of you with babies, toddlers, and young children, I know how trying it is at times. The diapers, the bottles, the late nights, the spilled drinks, the invitations you decline because the kids have to go to bed early, the homework and the projects. I mean, you struggle to find time to breathe. But take it from someone who can't believe his three babies are now adults with kids of their own. They grow up so fast. It's a bicycle today and a car tomorrow. It's your hand today and her fiance's hand tomorrow. It's changing your baby's diaper today and your grandbaby's diaper tomorrow. I shouldn't have to remind you to squeeze every second from every minute with your kids, your wife, your husband, your friends. Life is here now, but it may not be this evening. Life moves fast, and we can't save our youth and live it when we get more time, when we feel more prepared or feel better. When we're in our 20s, they end. They're gone. And our 30s are the result of what our 20s created. And our 40s are the result of what our 30s created. And on and on. Whether we're prepared or not. We can't push pause on our kids' childhood, then press play when we're ready. This moment, this season, this experience is all we have. Right now is it. And we will never pass this way again. Unfortunately, most of us try to hurry life along, don't we? I mean, we can't wait till 5 p.m. We can't wait till the weekend. We can't wait till summer. We can't wait till vacation. We can't wait till Christmas. We can't wait till we graduate. We can't wait till we get a job, until we get married, until the divorce is final. If we could, we would skip over large chunks of our lives, months at a time, always looking for the next new, big, better thing. And it's never here. It's always there. Rarely now, mostly when. It's one reason I love the season we just celebrated, Christmas. Christmas is all about here, not there. God entered here. He entered now. He came out of the shadows of what was and what might be and made himself home in the right now entered into the womb of a young girl who experienced pregnancy, complete with swollen feet, morning sickness, and back pain. And for nine long months, God took shape and formed inside of her body, kicking and squirming, twisting and turning, and soon emerging into time and space, and allowing himself 
the healer of mankind to be comforted, the creator of rest to be rocked to sleep in the arms he designed and fashioned. Why? So many reasons. But know this, God desires you here, not there, because he is here, not there. God is always here, never there. God is always now, never when. God is one eternal here. And he wants us to experience him now, in this moment, in the midst of your busy life, in between your appointments and deadlines and worry and doubt and fear and anxiety and all you have to do. God wants you to experience his presence, which will only happen as you and I slow down and become fully present. The great Old Testament hero Moses had to learn this lesson. His story is told in the action-packed book of Exodus, chapter 3. Now, before we get to the details, you need to know uh, history has recorded many titles for God. In fact, throughout Scripture alone, there are over 900 names and titles attributed to God. Alpha, Omega, Bread of Life, Consuming Fire, Redeemer, Lamb of God, only 894 more to go. Over 900 but out of all of those names and titles, only one name is considered the proper name of God, Yahweh. Now, why is this important? Well, when someone asks you for your name, you give him or her the name by which you want to be called. When God was asked for his name, this is the name he provided. So it must be significant, and it is. And you'll see this in the story. Now, one more point of interest before we jump into the story. Moses was born a Hebrew. He was part of God's chosen people. But the Pharaoh, Egypt's God king, wanted to destroy all the Hebrew male babies. So Moses' mother gave Moses to an Egyptian girl hopeful that he would be protected. He was, and Moses was raised as an Egyptian. But the Egyptian culture was far from God. In fact, the Egyptians believed in many gods and bought into a variety of myths while despising the God revealed in the Old Testament. Long and complicated story made short. When Moses becomes an adult, Moses loses his temper and commits murder. He is forced to flee Egypt. The Egyptians are hot on his trail, so he escapes into the desert where he hides out and makes a living for 40 long years. Then all of a sudden, God shows up. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Side note here. God always seems to show up when we get to the far side of the desert. Are you on the far side of the desert right now? If so, get ready. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush is not burning up? That's a really polite way to say, when Moses saw the bush was on fire but was not being consumed, he almost messed up his robe and thought he'd better go check it out. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Let me ask you a question. What, what would you have done 
I mean, how would you have explained that experience? Maybe to your wife or your husband. Uh, Honey, just hear me out, okay? There's this bush over there, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And I heard this voice calling my name. I wonder how that explanation would go over. And Moses said to the bush that was on fire and to this voice coming out of the bush, Here I am, verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Notice something interesting with me, okay? For 40 years, Moses has been on the run from the Egyptians. 40 long years, Moses has been running, looking for answers. I was born a Hebrew. I was raised an Egyptian. What's going on? He wanted to know who he was, from where he came, his identity, what his purpose was, maybe in life. For 40 years, Moses has been busy. And God said, Moses, I want you to stop and acknowledge that where you are is holy. Not there, but here. Yes, on the far side of the desert, right in the middle of all the sand and heat and discomfort. Now, not later, not someday when you get it all figured out, but right here, right now, Moses. Here's a confession, okay? I have always been a person who wants to get to there. I've I've never been content with here. And I'm convinced part of maturing as a God follower is learning to be at peace and fulfilled with the here and refusing to be preoccupied with the there. Listen to me very carefully. Nothing will steal your here more quickly than a preoccupation with the there. And God wanted Moses to acknowledge where he was standing, right here, was sacred and holy. Listen carefully. When you're with your babies, rocking them to sleep at 2 a.m. in the morning, and your eyes are bloodshot, and you're so tired, and you don't know whether or not you can go on, stop. Take off your house shoes, because where you are is holy. When you're in your 20s and you think that life will really never get started and you're waiting for the right guy to notice you, the the right girl to say yes, stop. Take off your shoes. For where you are is holy. When you're at work and you get so sick of the boss and the way he treats you and you wish you could find something else, something better, stop. Take off your shoes. Where you are is holy. When you're sitting in the hospital room trying to make sense of it all, stop, take off your shoes. Where you are is holy. Verse 6, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I guess so. Let's get real, okay? God shows up in the burning bush on the far side of the desert. I wonder if Moses thought, it's about time. I mean, I've been out here for 40 years hiding out, working, slaving, trying to take care of myself, worried that someone is going to find me. I've heard about you, God. My mother told me about you. I was hopeful you would help me out. And now you decide to finally show up. And you tell me to take off my dirty, sweaty sandals because right here, 
in the middle of this hot, dry desert, this is holy ground? Maybe God said back to Moses, that's right, Moses. Where you are is holy, as holy as it's ever going to get. Your circumstances don't have anything to do with it. My presence is what makes it holy. I'm already here. You just need to show up because you are always there. Think about it. It took 40 years for God to show up and set a bush on fire. That's what it always appears to be. But maybe it took Moses 40 years to stop and notice the bush was on fire. Maybe Moses had been running so fast for so long, he never noticed the bush. That's us, isn't it? Running so fast, we run past God and everyone else. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians. Well, that's great, God. Thank you. But verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Now, you would think that a burning bush is all Moses would need to convince him to go to Egypt and do exactly what God is saying. I mean, if I saw a burning bush and heard a voice talking to me from within the bush, and I survived the cardiac arrest following... I would do whatever the voice said, not Moses. Here's why. Egypt was filled with gods and idols and magicians and sorcerers. And Moses knew in order for the Egyptian leaders to listen to him, he was going to need more than, um, I I saw this burning bush and uh, there was a voice that came out of it and, 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 and told me to come tell you to let all the people go. So I think you should. I doubt that would have convinced anybody. Verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Stop. Here's this name thing again. Why is this important? Why, why did Moses care about God giving him a specific name to go back and tell them? Well, it was important because for hundreds of years, God was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Incredible title, beautiful description, represented hundreds of years of miracles and faithfulness. But the title had become a little dated. I mean, by this time, Jacob had been dead for 400 years. Moses was like, I need something a little more current. None of these people know who Jacob is. I I, I don't think that it'll do much to motivate them and, you know, to tell them to let their whole workforce go free. The reality is Moses didn't know Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. He only had heard of them. Up until this point, Moses' experience with God was based on his grandparents, his mother and father. To be honest, it was dated. It was stories of bygone years, glory days, always talking about what God used to do. And what happens next is huge. Verse 14, God said to Moses, tell them Yahweh sent you. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Not I was, or I will be, but now has sent me. Right now, gave me my orders. God said, Moses, I don't want you to tell them I am the God of your great-grandfather. Tell them I am the God of right now. I want you to tell them I am sent you. 
Moses knew exactly what that meant. Tell them who I am, Moses. Tell them my name. You tell them that you speak for Yahweh. Tell them that I am has stepped out of the past and I am as here in the right now. Then Moses said, but, but I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not a good communicator. I'm not gifted. I'm not the best choice for this job. And God says, Moses, you're not. But remember, I am. God pulled Moses back into the now. You see, we're so busy, so wrapped up with everything we're doing that we have a difficult time being. Too focused on what might be, we can't focus on what is. And nothing will cause us to miss more of the present than a preoccupation with the future. We must learn how to take off our shoes and recognize what is holy. We're just so flippin' busy. We miss the burning bushes all around. We're afflicted by what has been called hurry sickness, and it robs us of our ability to experience I am. Let me ask you a question. Are you infected with hurry sickness? You see, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Here are some symptoms I picked up from what it means to be hurry sick. Three things. One, speeding up daily activities. Is that you? Hurry sick people are haunted by fear that they are just not enough hours in the day to get it all done. So we read faster, talk faster. And when we're listening, we're nodding as quickly as we can to encourage the other people to talk faster. Is that you? Two, multitasking. This is a big one. The car is our favorite place for this. You know, hurry sick people drive, eat, drink coffee, monitor the radio, shave, apply makeup, talk on the phone, uh, make gestures all at the same time. Number three, an inability to love. The most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. So what do I do, Scott, so much? Let me give you one, okay? Solitude. Jesus engaged in it frequently. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus went into the wilderness for an extended period of fasting and prayer. He also went into solitude during major life and ministry decisions, such as choosing his closest disciples. And then again, he ended his ministry as he began it with the practice of solitude as he prayed alone in the garden just before his arrest and crucifixion. I wonder how many mistakes, pain, and regret would be avoided in our lives if before any major decision, we would spend one day in silent reflection, meditation, and prayer. Well, Scott, I can't spend a whole day in reflection and prayer. I get that. I do. So how about this? Just start by slowing down your life. How? Practice the art of slowing. Choose situations and environments forcing you to slow down. In other words, this is a discipline. That's all there is to it. Discipline yourself to slow down. Hey, here's a, here's a tough one, and I, I guarantee you I struggle with this. When you go into the, your grocery store or maybe a, one of those large chain, you know, multi-shopping uh, stores like Walmart or Sam's Club or something like that, how about getting in the checkout lane that will make you go slower rather than trying to find the one that makes you go the fastest? How about driving the slow lane and not try to pass everybody? 
How about to eat lunch and refuse to look at your phone or your watch one time? One writer notes an experiment done with mice a few years ago. Very interesting. A researcher found that it takes a high dose of amphetamines to kill a mouse living in solitude. But a group of mice will start hopping around and hyping each other up so much that a dosage 20 times smaller will be lethal. In fact, a mouse that had been given no amphetamines at all placed in a group on the drug will get so hyped up that within 10 minutes or so, it'll be dead. You see, here's, here's what I know about you. Most of you are so busy trying to get there that you miss here. And here is where the action is. Here is where life is. Here is, is where you live and breathe and love and laugh. Here is where God is. God is always in the here. Run after the three. Stop. I misread. Go back up. Here is where God is. Here is where God is. God is always in the here. Run after the there and you will miss him and outrun yourself too. I don't want that to be true of you. So my prayer is that each of us will look at where we are. Notice what is in front of us. And if we will start paying attention to the here and see God in every moment, you might just see a burning bush. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today, a reminder to slow down, a reminder to take our shoes off wherever we are and recognize that where we are is holy. In this moment is holy. On the far side of the desert is holy because where your presence is makes everything holy. Help us to create these places where your presence is recognized these sanctuaries, a place of rest, a, a place of slowing down and recognizing your presence in the middle of the desert, in the middle of raising kids and paying bills and taking care of all the things we must do so in life. God, help us to slow down enough that we live in the here rather than always trying to get there. Thank you for this reminder. In Jesus' name, amen.